Thank you for joining us at Purified Mission. We pray that you are blessed as you receive the Word of God. Uh, you, you, you might be able to do something that's intimidating, but I don't think you understand me. You see, Jeremiah spoke, he said, if, if I don't speak the word of God, uh, there's a fire that's on the inside of my bones. And when I speak that word, my bones are at peace. But if I resist the word of God, uh, the fire begins to rage on the inside of me. And so uh, your threats mean nothing to me because you don't know the other side of my affliction. If I don't do what God sends me to do, it is worse for me than any punishment you can inflict on me. So he, he began to share that this is the struggle that a prophet has on the inside of him is that the authority of God's word is so strong that it's better for me to just say it and deal with the outside than for me to keep silent and deal with God. And, and so this morning I, I, I will share some things and I don't know what God will do in this place. I don't know what God will do with the hearers of this word. Uh, but I know what God is doing with me in this word. And so I want to challenge us with this word because uh, this is the word that God is challenging me with. Uh, let's say, say to your neighbor, or let's say it together to God, breathe on us, O oh God. Oh, yes, we need a breath from God. Breathe on me, Holy Spirit. Father, we go into your word this morning. Father, we go into a place of seeking you this morning. Father, we bed down to learn at your feet this morning. We need you to reveal yourself to us, your church, your children, so that we can partake of your kingdom that is being revealed now. Father, we are hungry, we are thirsty for the word of truth. We are hungry, we are thirsty for you. So reveal yourself to us in this place, oh God. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing other than you. Visit us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. We, in the current dispensation of the church, in our most common theology and uh, various denominations, we, we have come to appreciate that the Word of God teaches us that our God is a, a triune God, meaning He has uh, uh, expressed Himself in three unique ways. Um, and those three unique ways all come back to the same person, our God. Um, and uh, we know God as our Father, uh, the Father. Uh, the Bible introduces him as such. Jesus teaches us to pray as such. And we, we've come to know 
the expression of Elohim as the Son. Uh, the Bible tells us in the book of John that in the beginning was the Word. Uh, the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And that Word became flesh. And it dwelled amongst us. And we were able to behold Him. Do, I don't know if you understand that, but it was necessary for Jesus to become flesh in order for us to behold God. Because up until Jesus was revealed in the flesh, nobody could behold God. See, the Bible says no one can look upon God and live. And so in order for us to be able to behold God, uh, behold God, we, uh, we were gifted with Jesus in the flesh, which was a covering that allowed us to be able to behold him. And we know that when we beheld him, the Bible says he had no form of beauty. He was ordinary. He looked just like any one of us. And in many ways, that, that completes the cycle of the word of God, because in the beginning, uh, God created Adam, and the Bible says in his image, and in his likeness. And so if God reveals himself in the flesh and we are in his image and his likeness, then God revealed in the flesh should look exactly like one of us. Praise God. Because we are truly in his image and his likeness. See, if, if Jesus was revealed and he was twice our height, then we were created in the likeness of God. If Jesus was revealed and he had three eyes, uh, we were not created in the likeness of God. But when Jesus, the Word of God, becomes flesh and dwells amongst us, uh, he actually takes on a form just the same way Adam took on the flesh. And uh, then Jesus should look like just about as common as anybody. Uh, he's got eyebrows. He might have had a mustache. I don't know what kind of hairdo he had, but his stature was roughly the stature of an ordinary man. He looked like just about somebody you'd pass by on the sidewalk. And so his outward appearance did not uh, cause you to perceive him differently than an ordinary person. Um, but there, there was also another expression of God, and that expression was the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit uh, was the expression that is enduring, praise God. You see, God visited man in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but God does not walk casually with man these days. Because since sin has entered the world, the holiness of God is far too high uh, than to ordinarily mixed with sin-tainted people because his righteousness is so righteous that it would judge us immediately. And so he gave us his son. You see, the father established all things, but he gave us the son 
Son of God to be uh, the, the, the reconciliation, the reconciler, the redeemer, the deliverer to bring all of man back into a place where man can commune with God. Uh, meaning that Jesus begins to be our intermediary. In any time, let me be honest with you, church, we in ourselves cannot approach God without Jesus. Because in our own self, we're not sanctified. But the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be called the righteousness of God. That's not complete. The Bible says the righteousness of God in him. Are you with me? So when we come to God without Christ, we cannot stand before the presence of the Lord. But that's why Jesus said, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do. Uh, because God is not responding to me, he is responding to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. And so uh, it's very important that we appreciate what was being done here at the cross. Uh, was that Jesus was replacing all expressions of prayer, all expressions of supplication, all attempts to approach God, with not many people coming to God, but putting himself as the intermediary, so that whenever we approach God, God does not look upon us in ourselves. He looks upon Jesus at the cross. And because our sins were paid for by the blood, of Jesus at the cross. We are able to access the blessing of God because Jesus' sacrifice covered it all. And so the blessing of God when it comes to our life, it does not judge us of sin. In fact, it redeems us because we are washed in the blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and and so Jesus established his ministry here on the earth. Uh, Jesus went about and, and he chose disciples for himself. Uh, we know his disciples, he had 12 of them. They lived with him, they walked with him, they ate with him. They slept where he slept. They struggled where he struggled. They watched him, they learned from him, they listened to him. They drew close to him, they were obedient to him. They gave up their lives because of him. And as he taught them, many other people followed I don't know if you understand where I'm going, uh, but Jesus oftentimes would uh, just sit down to teach his disciples, 12 of them, and a thousand more people would show up. Uh, and Jesus would sit down and he'd escape from the city with his disciples and 5,000 men would bring their families along to hear the word that Jesus had to share. You see, they didn't have television ads in those days. They didn't have major sporting events where they could advertise a crusade. Uh, they didn't have internet to push information to people's devices. Uh, they didn't have a way to broadcast with billboards and, and, and make it clear that Jesus is going to be at a certain place on a certain day uh, at a certain venue. 
all they heard was a rumor that Jesus, you know, the healer of Nazareth, is over there teaching his disciples. And 5,000 men grabbed their families and rushed to that place because they wanted to hear the word that Jesus said. I want you to understand with me that they, they didn't have microphones. They didn't have megaphones. Uh, electricity and modern technology was not available to make information easy to pass on. They didn't have television screens and they didn't have projectors and big screen media in order to have a chorus pushed out over the airway so people can uh, sing along. Uh, people didn't gather because they had a drum set. They didn't have fancy musicians who could carry Grammy winning tones and tunes. All they heard was a rumor that Jesus, the healer of Nazareth, is going to be at a place. And, you know, if Jesus had an intention to build a mega church, uh, if people just heard a rumor that Jesus is somewhere and 5,000 men showed up with their families, uh, he easily had a church of over 20,000 people just without trying. And, 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 and I want us to appreciate what was happening in all of this. Um, Jesus did not come to stir up a crowd. You see, the father came to establish. The father established things from the beginning. Uh, Jesus had one mission. He came to redeem. There, there must be a work of redemption. And that means that Jesus is going to do something different than a public stunt. You see, people aren't redeemed in public in order to be redeemed, you've got to get into the nitty-gritty, very, very detailed personal stuff. And in that personal stuff, God has got to replace the bad and take out the broken and replace it with the new and fill it with the good. And so Jesus, when everything shifted, he was still left with just 12 disciples. Um, many people still baffle at, at why Jesus stopped at 12. Uh, there were many people that heard the word, why only 12 stood around. You, you know, when, when you get to know the scriptures, when you study the scriptures, you, you actually start to see that even in the 12, there were only 11. Because there was a Judas amongst them. And Judas had a problem that would eventually lead to his demise. Uh, Judas had an eye on the money. And Judas had an eye and a heart that was on money. Which means that you can buy Judas loyalty. And so uh, the Sanhedrin was able to buy the loyalty of Judas and lead him to betray Jesus. And so amongst the twelve, there were only eleven uh, might I dare to say that amongst the 11, there were really uh, three that were at the center of what Jesus was getting ready to do. Praise God. And the Bible talks about Peter, James, and John. And, and they oftentimes would go away with Jesus when he went on a prayer retreat. They would draw a little bit closer with him. Um, because I want us to see something here that, that Jesus works in the very intimate settings 
Uh, Jesus is not here to make a show at all. The kingdom of God is not for public consumption. It's not a show. It's not a sitcom. You can't watch it on streaming TV. You cannot become saved by streaming TV. You need salvation by faith alone. See what I'm saying? It's not a TV problem. It's the fact that Jesus deals with our private matters in private, in a very intimate setting. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so it's very important to understand that that Jesus had these 12 followers and in the 12 there were 11 that were loyal and 11 there were three that were really close. And, and, And Jesus worked with them also. We're going to draw some parallels this morning. I pray that I have enough time to complete this. And the Bible uh, tells us that in the beginning, uh, the earth was without form and it was void. And the spirit of the Lord hovered over the surface of the deep. I'm going to come back to that. I want us to see that there were two in that beginning. There was uh, in the beginning... The earth was without form and it was void. Of course, God and his spirit were revealed in the scripture. Um, the, the beginning, the father establishes all things. In, in the place where there was uh, a world that was formless and void, uh, this, the Bible tells us that God did some things that transformed the world. And it was through his creation that we exist today. Praise God. Um, so the Father established all these things from the beginning. From the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, declared all the firmaments in the heavens, set the stars in their place, and God watched the earth form, and then he formed man out of the dust, and then uh, man became a living being. We'll come back to that. But uh, the man became living, and God gave the man a job. The man's job was to look after the garden and look after all the inhabitants, all the animals, and all the creatures were under man's domain. And man was to take care of them. Um, We talked about Jesus. Jesus, the son, uh, also established something. He established a new order, the ministry. He established the work of salvation through redemption. He established the church, but not in the big sense, in the private, personal, heart sense. Um, Praise God. And uh, there was a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was very important. Uh, he's, uh, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our teacher. He's our counselor. Uh, he's our friend. He's our intercessor. And um, so the Holy Spirit has a unique job. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the apostles had, uh, in this intimate experience with Jesus, uh, they, they, had, uh, they had instructions from Jesus. Uh, Jesus had been telling them all through his ministry that he is going to go, but he is going to let them do the work of the ministry. In fact, he spoke some very direct words. Uh, speaking to Peter, he said, uh, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He spoke in his last commission, giving them an assignment to go into Judea and to the Samaria and to the ends of the earth, preaching the gospel, baptizing all men in the name of Jesus that they might be saved. He gave them instructions. Um, but finally, finally, in the book of Luke, let's go there, in the 24th chapter, 
Um, look in the 24th chapter. And in the 49th verse, the Bible says, Behold, Luke in the 24th chapter, in the 49th verse, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Uh, so this, he had given them the instructions to preach the word of God all over the place. He had given them the instructions to carry on this gospel work, salvation, and declaring what Jesus had taught them. And But he said, they can't do it yet. They have to wait until they receive power. If we go to the book of Acts in the first chapter... Um, in this first chapter, in the eighth verse, it says something very like, and it says, uh, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, same scripture, same expression, uh, different writer. Uh, shares with us that you will receive power through the Holy Spirit. Now, notice Jesus uh, said the Holy Spirit is the promise of God. See, there was a dispensation where God uh, interacted with man and it was uh, fullness of God in the garden. And in the time when man sinned, God withdrew from man because the expression of God, the father would bring judgment upon man in the natural way. Uh, Jesus came and, and the expression of God, the son uh, was able to mingle with man and we could behold him and in beholding him we were able to learn from him and draw close to him and when we drew close to him the bible lets us know that there was a, a different expression of god a god being intimate with us deposited on the inside of us a gospel that we would teach others also and the holy spirit was different. See, Jesus came, but Jesus had to go. But the Holy Spirit is the one that remains. Um, I think it, it needs to be expounded a little bit more. You see, the disciples had exposure to the truth. They knew what they would need to do. But they couldn't do any of it without... The Holy Spirit. I, as I study the Word of God, I begin to see that things in the Word of God have a pattern. They have a pattern. They have a distinct pattern. Now, in the beginning, the Bible shows us that God formed Adam. It's it's quite spectacular uh, that God formed Adam. Two Genesis two and the seventh verse, and it says, "And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground." God formed Adam. It was God's image and his likeness. Chapter 1, verse 27 says, 
26, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And 27 says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created the male and female. He created them. In God, we look like him. We, we stature like him. We, we gesture like him. We sort of think like God. In a sense, we work with authority the way God operates. We have his likeness, his character, like father, like son. There's a lot of similarity in the things we do. Yes. And when you begin to ponder on all this, uh, Adam was created by God. Uh, that means God created Adam perfectly. And he was perfect. He was perfect. But he was not alive. Yeah. When God finished making Adam, he just looked good. No blemish. He didn't have one eyebrow that was higher than the other. He didn't have a smile that tweaked to one side more than the other. He was just perfect. But look at second chapter and the seventh verse. And it says, And after he had formed him, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then the man became a living being. Praise God. Um, I'm going to expound a little bit here because when we read the Bible, uh, there's a little bit of the context setting that's necessary to understand the expression. Sometimes the expression seems repetitive. Sometimes it seems simplistic. Sometimes it seems like the expression of the word of God is, is a little bit lofty, but there's a way that the word of God works. There's a way that the word of God works, and this is the way the word of God works. Um, the Bible speaks this. Here's what it's saying. And there's uh, God breathed into Adam and Adam became a living being. And uh, that breath was the breath of life. I'm going to share with you what that original text said in the scrolls in the Hebrew. It says neshama. That means breath. Neshama. And neshama is the same word used in Job 33 in the fourth verse. It says, the spirit of God has made me, the breath of the almighty has given me life. And without that breath of God, without that spirit of God, we don't have life. Um, you see, the word neshama and uh, ruach are used together, ruach meaning the spirit, neshama meaning breath, and so together it means breathing, living soul. And Adam was not alive until God breathed into him, and that made him a living being. And as much as he was a perfect specimen, and as much as he was formed in the image and the likeness of God, and he was a mold like a lifeless mannequin, uh, Neshama, the breath, is what brought the spirit into him and he became alive. This was the order that God established in the old covenant. The father established all things, the word spoke it into existence, the Holy Spirit brings it into life. The Father establishes all things, the Word speaks it into existence, and the Holy Spirit brings it to life. And, and, and so, uh, and I want you to notice that God handles man differently. 
You see, God didn't shape the trees in the dust. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It says that God shaped man, formed man out of the dust. Everything else that we see in the Bible was a spoken word. Uh, God spoke light, God spoke trees, God spoke the separation of water and land, God spoke the birds, God spoke the animals, he, he spoke everything until it got to man, then God formed man. And so notice God handles man very intimately. God puts his hand on us and he's very detailed about us. Praise God. And, and God cares so much about us. It, it tells us that even the very hairs on our head are numbered. There's nothing that is accidental about the children of God. It's detail oriented planning. And God is always intimate with the handling of man. And God formed man in Genesis. But notice, in the Gospels, Jesus walked with man. Detailed handling. Jesus didn't just show up for a day and say a few things to people and then disappear off the planet. He walked with them. He lived with them. He ate with them. He taught them. He was detailed with them and made sure that they understood who he was before he went to the cross. But the Holy Spirit had to come. I don't know if you understand what happened. After God had finished creating Adam, it was necessary for the spirit, the breath to come into Adam in order for Adam to come into living being. And the word breath, ruach, uh, neshama, uh, they speak the same thing, which means spirit and life. And when you look at the phraseology of this particular scripture, it says this in Hebrew. It says, Nepash Kai Neshama Kai Nepesh. I'll say that in Hebrew and then translate. Nepash means breathe. It's a verb. Kai means of life. Something living. And neshama means breath. So breath, breathe the breath of life, uh, of life becoming a living soul. Nepesh is your soul. So notice the scripture is saying that the soul was produced by the breath of life entering into that formed man. When just the formation, there's no soul and there's no life. But with the breath of God, there is life and it produces a soul. And so the church in Acts looked just like Adam. Here was Peter, what Jesus had prophesied, that upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against that church. And the word of God is true. But the church in the formed state was not able to do the work that the church needed to do until Jesus said, wait here until you receive power. And in 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 the in the book of Acts, written in the Greek, it, it says this: "No way, no way, no way." Is uh, 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 it's the beginning, the root word for uh, pneuma. When we say pneuma, we're speaking to breath. That's that's the Latinized Greek form that tells us the word breath. And so the pneuma, the breath, uh, comes from life. 
You know, when somebody uh, stops breathing, we understand that they are no longer living. And so, when the church is about to come alive, God has to release the Holy Spirit to take into that person, the body of Christ, life. And so, the disciples could not go forth from their place until they received the Holy Spirit. No matter how much anointing Peter had, the kingdom of God and the work of evangelism could not happen without the Holy Spirit. See, we've been praying for revival. This is where God has been working on me. When you pray for revival, if you go into a hospital and they're going to revive somebody, what they're trying to do is get that person to breathe. You need them to breathe. You see, you can't live without breathing. They need the life to come back into you. And so the word revival, ironically, actually says, Kaye. It's the same word of life that's used in between breathe, breath of life, and breathe and soul. Revival is God's breath coming back into the church. You see, the Lord was working on me in this because all of this seems a little bit abstract until you begin to go deeper and understand that the words we're speaking to when we say revival and we say Holy Spirit and we say life and all these things, they're actually speaking to breath. Notice this, in the beginning the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the surface of the deep. That was the wind, the breath of God was everywhere, just hovering. In the book of Acts, in the second chapter, uh, the Bible begins to tell us what happened. The second verse says, first verse says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come and they were all assembled in one place, verse 2 says, there was a sound of a rushing wind. Hmm. Of course you expect the Holy Spirit, when he comes, to be a breath of heaven. And that sound of a rushing wind began to move around in that place and people could experience the sound of the wind and the Holy Spirit came upon them. The breath of life. Yes. We pray for revival. When we began to pray, one of the things the Lord revealed to us is, look at the Bay Area, it's a valley. In Ezekiel, in the 37th chapter, the Bible tells us that the word of God revealed to Ezekiel. So what do you see? He said, I see a valley full of dry bones. You know what dry bones are? Dry bones are like the fossils. Something used to be alive in this place, but all that's left is just the remnants that shows us that it was there. And God told Ezekiel, prophesy, speak. And so Ezekiel began to prophesy. And the wind began to come into the bones. Life. And they revived the bones. I don't know if you understand, but there's a revival that's about to happen in Oakland. There's a revival that's about to happen in this Bay Area. There's a revival that's about to happen all over California. And that revival is going to take this nation by storm. There's going to be a wind of holy revival in this region, and it's going to catch on. God is going to breathe in his church again. Revival. Are you ready?
It was that same breath that left when the bones died and dried up. They came back in and the bones came alive. See, just as the church became alive in Jerusalem and then they went to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, they came alive when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Revival is asking that same living breath to come back to the church. We're going to pray. We're going to say, Lord, revive us over.